Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Catherine, and I'm joined tonight by my co-hosts, Amanda and Jean. Hi, ladies. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Happy Sunday. It is. Yay. <laughs> the, the starting point of every single day of recovery is willingness, whether we have one day sober or a million days. And I was thinking, I I have this friend who says, I wake up every day with untreated alcoholism, so I have to tend to it and treat it every day. And that's true for me, too. So I was thinking, you know, I have to start every day with a willingness to accept that and a willingness to take action, to stay sober. And tonight I'm happy to say that we're joined by Jenna and Chris, who will be sharing their sober experiences and how willingness played a part in that. Welcome, guys. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So Thank you for saying, having me. We're so happy to have you. Um, there's a saying that says we have to be willing to go to any length to get sober. And I was thinking about this, but any length, that sounds kind of overwhelming at the outset, but maybe we can parse it and find out if that's true. So, Jean, you know, coming to you, does the concept of any length resonate with you? Um, it, it does. I mean, I think I'm someone who is very resistant to coming around to willingness. But once I, once I really realized that, you know, I, I couldn't moderate day one, day two, zero, day one, (laughs) zero, wasn't working. I really had to, I, I got to the point where, um, I wanted my life to get better. My, my fear of continuing on the path I was on was, was greater than my fear of life without alcohol. And I think that's when I really, became willing and any length like that that sometimes scares me that that word and yet i know that i i have this survival instinct like this protectiveness of my sobriety because i love my life so much right now that i don't want anything to take me back to where i was right no i agree and how about you amanda does it feel true and has it changed for you over time Oh yeah. Um I mean I think I was um I was blessed with a gift of de- desperation when I when I got sober and I had tried I had never tried to stop drinking but I had tried to um control my drinking certainly and um when I decided to get sober I was told to be open-minded and willing to go to any lengths and I that's exactly what I did. I came in and I just um checked my ego at the door and realized that I had no clue on how to get or stay sober. And so I was just willing to do whatever people told me. And, um, you know, it's worked so far. And as far as it changing, I found that, um, you know, I kind of stick to my routine. But as far as my willing... um, My willingness, I know that if things were... are not going right or things aren't... um, you know, if I'm just not, you know, not 
feeling serenity or not feeling good about my life, I am willing to change up what I'm doing so that I can get back in a, a better path. So I guess, you know, it does it does change over time. Um, but, you know, uh, I always keep in mind that I need to stay willing to just, you know, that sobriety is my number one priority, I guess, is, you know, like you said, waking up every day with untreated alcoholism and keeping that forefront in my mind. Yeah, this is Catherine. I, I feel like, you know, my my willingness to be sober was very strong, but my willingness of any length has definitely evolved. So in the beginning, I was nervous about going to recovery meetings. And then my willingness to go there and then to try new meetings, that, that expanded. And at first I thought, well, if somebody tried to tell me to go to you know, 90 meetings in 90 days, I, I thought, well, that, there's no way I could do that. And then I became willing to do that, um, became willing to try praying, you know, to read different recovery literature. And it's just, it's really evolved and gotten to the point where, you know, I, I think I referenced last week that I'm in this pretty uncomfortable place right now in my, in my personal growth and my recovery journey. And I'm willing to do things differently to reach out to other sober people, even making phone calls, which I just am really resistant to do. I'm such an isolator, um, which I know resonates with a lot of people. So I just, I really find it expanding. And so the willingness has gotten bigger and bigger and it's, it's bigger than my fear of relapse. And it's, it's bigger than my, my fear and my bad memories of what it was like to be active. Um, so it, it's making me feel safer and safer the more willing I get. But um, we'll talk a little bit more, too, about how much willingness does one need to have to get and stay sober. Um, but we've got a lot to talk about here, so I'd like to welcome our first guest, uh, Jenna. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, so maybe we could just start off by uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your sober journey. I am 41. I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, I got sober when I was 40. And um, I started out drinking like everyone did. I went to uh, party school in college, um, and I drank there. And um, I started out um, from the first time I drank um, blacking out. Um, But it was pretty normal, Um, I mean, it's not normal, but when you're in college, no one thinks twice of it. And then um, my my alcoholism progressed as I got older, Um, but I've never been a daily heavy drinker, and I married someone that drank heavily um, in every day, so that's when it really progressed because I could just drink the way I wanted to. Um, And I was blacking out. I I moderated for 10 years. Um, so I really tried to control um, what I drank. So I'd try to stop at a certain amount, and then I could control it for so long, and then I would um, end up blacking out. I blacked out maybe four or five times a year. Um, and then um, for me, I just hit um, my bottom was um, just as when I hit my bottom, it was just more of a spiritual bottom, more of an internal bottom. I didn't lose anything or go to jail or have a DUI. 
I just felt like I wasn't living my best life and I wasn't um, in communion with my higher self. In the hangovers, um, you know, since I was older, the hangovers were getting a lot worse. And um, I actually, like, I would... I lurked on sobriety blogs and through the internet um, for like four years before I quit. And then that's when I I listened to the bubble hour and I joined the BFB and um, some women from the BFB encouraged me to go to a 12-step meeting. And that's what I started to do. Well, I, I, I think it's so great that we have so much information that's out there now. Last week we talked to some um, sober bloggers, including our own Jean, whose blog is Unpickled. Um, and it's it's great that that kind of information can help prompt our willingness. Yes, definitely. Yeah, maybe it's sort of the identification of um, having something in common. Right, and for me, listening to the bubble hour was helpful. And then and being able to just um, because I could, I could hear the voices, and I could um, relate to women like myself. Right, because I had a lot of shame um, with the stigma, so I didn't want to go in person. So it was just like this horrifying secret I had. This is, so then this is Jean. Jenna, do you, do you feel like your willingness kind of came in baby steps, like you sort of explored online and then you started listening and then you started connecting with people online? Do you sort of feel like you sort of inched toward the willingness to give yourself over to recovery? Yes, it was in baby steps. Um, what happened was um, I went on the Yahoo version of um, the BSB and some women um, – from that site reached out to me, and um, it was really helpful, but I was still drinking at the time. And then once I joined the um, BFC, I actually started to talk to women on the phone, and um, once I started um, going to the 12-step program, um, that's when I developed um, more willingness. But I was only going to quit for um, 30 days, I wasn't going to do the 12 steps um, or anything like that in the beginning. It just seemed really, um, the 12-step program, I thought it was really beautiful, but it it just seemed uh, really strange to me. And I thought the steps um, were for people that were more spiritually evolved than I was. Right. Um, Um, So I remember going, yes, go ahead. Oh, I was. This is Amanda. I was just gonna say I happen to be, you know, hi. <laughs> I happen to be on the board when you, you know, started your sober journey, and it's really, um, it was actually it, really amazing to watch your willingness and your, um, your desire to get sober. You know, um, from, you know, as someone, you know, seeing you from right from the beginning, where you know it was, you know, you're questioning your sobriety, and then you know. Um, listening to the suggestions of other people and um, not really wanting to do what they told you to do, but um, you know what I what I loved and what I think is maybe a, a more subtle version of willingness is just that you would ask the questions like, "How do I do this? Um, you know, right. do I really? 
how do I do this? And, you know, will you support me? And, you know, and, you know, um, this is how I'm feeling. You know, do you feel this way? You know, you ask the questions. So that's, you know, to me it was a, you know, a much more subtle version, but you were very open-minded to the feedback that people gave you. And, you know, look where it got you. Uh, I'll never forget right. when you were like, okay, I got, you know, I got 30 days. That's all I ever wanted to do, so I'm done. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> Stick with it. <laughs> this is Jean. Yeah, Jenna, what was up with it. the 30-day thing? Jenna, what was up with the 30-day thing? What, what what was making sense in your mind about that? Well, I just, I for me, I had the opposite effect when I told people I was an alcoholic. They said, no, you're not, you're fine, you're not that bad. Um, I hadn't had any consequences um, from my drinking. I wasn't a daily drinker, so I was, I think there was a little, a lot of denial. And so I thought, well, I'll try it. Um, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the things um um, I didn't have a surrender. I had a, I had a slow surrender. Mm. I mean, I didn't walk in um, to the twelve-step program and completely surrender in the beginning. Um, but what happened was I started to get a lot of gifts um, from sobriety, just in the first thirty days, and I became really grateful. And I met, um, I met just some wonderful people in the 12-step program, and um, I just started to want a more spiritual life, and I started to see little glimmers of my higher self um, coming out, but I had such a hard time quitting that it was like nearly impossible for me to quit, even though I wasn't a daily drinker. I had so many um, cravings that I just didn't feel like I could do it. It was too hard. (laughs) So it I, like, um, I, this is Catherine, like it sounds like with connection to other people, you know, you were able to align with your greatest and highest good there and and, and that led to more willingness. It's like a little bit of willingness leads us to more if we keep acting. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I did just want to comment, this is Catherine again, just for our listeners who, when when uh, Jenna is referencing BFB, you can find, I think if there's a link to it, right, Amanda, on our website, it's the Booze Free Brigade. It's a uh, Yahoo board. It's an anonymous um, support system, I guess you'd call it, ecosystem for yeah. those who are exploring our common problem um, with alcohol and, and folks who are at different stages in that journey. So it's another uh, resource that's available for people. So, I'm, and Jen, I'm really glad that that has helped you. Um, I think what what we could do is I'd like to introduce our next guest is Chris, and I'm going to ask you to share now, Chris, so then we can all sort of dialogue here on the topic of willingness. So welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you. Then we're really happy to have you here. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to great to be here and great to talk to everyone. Um, my name is Chris, as you said, and I live in New York City. I'm 37 years old, and I my sobriety date is January 3rd of 2011. So uh, just over three years, and you know, I was the kind of person that drank from a very very early age. I essentially used drugs and alcohol. Um, 
every single day of my life from the time I was 12 to the time I was 34 when I got sober. And um, I I was definitely that daily person. And, you know, all the, the only thing that changed were, um, you know, what I was doing. Uh, alcohol was probably the only constant. Um, but, you know, it, it got to the point where, you know, I could not wake up. Um, I couldn't start my day without drinking and, you know, taking a handful of pills every single day. And, um, you know, what would happen is that I would always, I would start that way and try to get back to normal. You know, I would want to get to that, that baseline just to be normal, just to stop shaking and, you know, just to stop wanting to kill myself for that day. And, um, you know, I, I would, by 11 a.m., I would always go past that mark, you know, always. And I'd be like, ah, you know what, I'll start over to that tomorrow. And, you know, I I thought that the whole, my the more successful I became, the more money I made, that somehow I was eventually going to just solve everything. And I was that was what was going to make me happy. And I kept proving myself wrong. And I chose a profession where, um, you know, it, my drinking, going out and being able to party and then being able to wake up and speak and do things like that were really, they, they wound up being, uh, assets rather than liabilities, you know, and so what they wound up becoming were great justifiers of everything that I was doing. And, um, you know, along this whole route, I, you know, I met my wife and, um, we, you know, we went through lots of, lots of very hard times. And I was, I was a great person to say like, Oh, you know, this is the reason I drink so much of this and everything like that. And, um, you know, it, it got to, the point where, you know, getting to my the willingness part, but, um, you know, I'd started this last uh, business before I got sober, about eight months before I got sober, and, um, it, you know, basically helped to really speed everything up, you know, and the big thing about that was ego, and, you know, and then all the, you know, the, the fears that are based around that. My wife and I, and I had a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter um, this summer before uh, she was about one-and-a-half before I the summer before I got sober and my wife and I were going to see this therapist, this marriage counselor, this guy who was a family friend and he had a lot of um he had a lot of background in uh drugs and and um alcohol and addiction and everything like that and we were going to see him to work on our marriage issues and the only issue though that he would bring up and you know the only real issue that was there was um, you know, it was really me. You know, I never went there sober ever once. And, you know, this man would not take a dollar from me. I tried to pay him every single time. But he said, no, I can't help you yet. I can't help you yet. And, um, you know, and, and I just, you know, it, it blew my mind, you know, and he, and he was right. He couldn't. And I made this pact with him and my wife. I'm going to get sober after this last trip. Um, you know, and this was going to be in the middle of November. After this trip, I'm going to get sober because I have to go to Las Vegas. I didn't have to. I was going to Las Vegas for a business trip, and I was going to be going there for six days, which is a really, really bad idea to begin with. And, um, you know, I wound up going there, and I wound up just, you know, it, the the week was a mess. It was a blur. I missed, uh, you know, my flights back, and, you know, my wife was at the airport waiting for me, and I said, listen, she said, I can't do this anymore. And I said, either can I. And, um, you know, you would think that if you're listening to that, you'd think, oh, maybe that's, he's he's ready. He's got, he's ready to quit. And, no, I, you know, I said, I'm going to move. Um, you know, I don't love you anymore. I'm moving away. And I 
moved, um, you know, and I left my, you know, my daughter, my wife, and I moved uh, to Florida and the office down there. And, you know, with the justification that it's going to be, it's beautiful there in the, in the winter time. I won't have to go through all the snow and I'll be able to work out and get healthy and everything like that. And uh, I was in sober for, you know, I did not drink or use drugs for more than probably eight hours, in, you know, in a, you know, in a row, including sleeping. And I came back up after, you know, about a month and a half of that. And, you know, I still had house up here in New York and everything. And, um, you know, I, I was walking out and, uh, you know, everybody, I came back up and I told everybody I was sober. It was for the Christmas holidays. And I came back up telling everyone I was sober and, that, um, you know, but my suitcase was filled with uh, bottles, bottles of alcohol, bottles of pills. And, um, you know, Christmas morning where I'm at my sister's and, you know, with my nieces and my little daughter, beautiful little daughter, and, you know, where, you know, they get up early to open presents. And, you know, I have to be in, I'm in the bathroom drinking and taking pills just so I can function, just so I can get through watching kids open presents, you know, at 6 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, and that's, that's how it was. And, um, you know, I was supposed to go back down to Florida and, you know, and pretty much go back down and, you know, eventually, um, you know, I, I knew I was eventually going to kill myself, um, you know, through what I was doing. And, you know, I also had very clear thoughts of wanting to kill myself. So it got to um, this point where, you know, my choices were go back to Florida, you know, die slowly or quickly from drugs and alcohol, just kill myself, get it over with, don't have to live anymore, um, or get clean, you know, and they all seemed like pretty good options, and I wasn't sure which one I wanted to pick, and um, I don't think I clearly thought of any of them, but what wound up happening was I, I, my wife was, um, I, I wasn't even staying at my house through this trip, I was staying with my parents, and I went back to my house and you know my wife basically had just said you know I can't do anything with you anymore I'm you know I, I, I have to have you out of my life um, and you know she had went upstairs to put my daughter to sleep and she, uh, I went into my kitchen and I was at my island in there and I just had this something happened where I just finally gave up and you know I had that moment and it was just like this huge weight had been lifted. And I don't know exactly what that is or why it happened then or anything like that. And she came back down the stairs and, um, you know, she's, I went over to her and I said, I want to get clean. And, you know, she said, I'll help you. And she called that man, the, the counselor, uh, the therapist that we had been seeing who had never taken a dollar from us. And she said, Chris wants to get clean. And, um, I and she said he wants to go to a 10-day treatment center because that was my thing. I wanted to go to a 10-day um, rehab base. I was like, 30 days? That's way too long. I'll get it done in 10 and I'll be out and we'll be done. And uh, she called that guy and he he said, you know what, Chris is done making decisions. And um, he wound up. He said, this is where he's going to go. And the place, um, Karen Foundation, where I went, um, saved my life. And, uh, you know, I, I did go there and, um, you know, and the, the interesting thing, though, I'll wrap it up, but about willingness is that, 
you know, I was ready, but I was really, really happy when they said that they this was December 28, 2010, when I, you know, when that happened. I was really happy when they said they couldn't take me till January 3rd, 2011. Um, you know, and I drank and used every second till I got there, um, because even though I was ready, even though I was willing, I wasn't 100. percent You know, and that, you know, that, and that's an important thing. You know, but I had just enough to get there. And when I got there, you know, I started listening to people. Um, you know, I I knew that I was done when I walked into those doors. Um, I didn't know how. I didn't know anything about the 12-step um, recovery program that they were going to teach me about that, you know, was going to wind up not wind up not only saving my life but giving me a life. But I just was ready, and I would listen. When they said, get up at 6.30 in the morning, I would say, all right. And I would wake up. When they said, make your bed, I would make my bed. When they said, go to this, go to that, I would listen. And I had never listened to anyone before. You know, so that's where my willingness started. Um, so, and then I can answer any other questions. Yeah, that, thank you so much, Chris. I mean, there's there's just so much here. You know, this bed-making thing, I've heard this before, that, I've I've read this that you can if you make your bed every day for 21 days you know it can change your life mm-hmm. and I think it's a great example of like just the willingness to make the bed you know and get your life in order in this one little way can lead yeah. to you know the next right action and the next right action um that's amazing yeah. So yeah. hearing kind of with with both you and Jenna, and I know this for myself, this has been true that really the first thing is the willingness to be honest about our relationship with alcohol and and what our behaviors and thought patterns are. And one thing that I really love about the Bubble Hour is you know the Amanda and, and Jean and I are here with our different experiences, and then we have guests every week who have. You know, you can be a daily drinker, not a daily drinker, a blackout drunk, not a blackout drunk. There's everyone's got all these different stories of different consequences and you know different bottoms. But we're all we all start by having these justifications and these um, you know, these sort of secret relationships with alcohol. So, um, you know, Chris, what are what's your thought on that in terms of that honesty? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's, that becomes everything. And, you know, it's so interesting, um, you know, when I look back at how how much my willingness has changed. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the whole the, the, the bed thing, you know, because that's really what it is. It's just constantly about building, um, you know, building those blocks. You know, I was watching something this morning, and it, it's actually something um, – from a pretty famous actor who really believes in, you know, some uh, the laws of the universe and all this stuff. But anyway, he was talking about, um, you know, building. His father said when he was 12, he tore down this brick wall and said, you know, you have to rebuild this. And um, and he said, oh, it's impossible. And he said, you know, and then they started doing it, him and his brother. And, you know, he's like, the way that we did it, we just we didn't focus on building this amazing wall we focus on building you know one perfect brick at a time and you know at the end of that you know after a year and a half we had this amazing you know brick wall and um you know it was was just such an interesting thing for me to hear because that's you know that's really what this is all 
become for me because, you know, there's so many different levels of something like honesty. You know, I, when I was in rehab, people thought that I was super honest because I was so willing to talk about, you know, anything, um, you know, that, that was on my mind or whatever. But that was really, really, you know, it, it was very planned. You know, I would only tell people the stuff that I thought, um, you know, they were going to want to hear, you know, when it really came down to, you know, telling them this stuff that was really, really bothering me or the issues that really, you know, I should have been talking about, you know, I wasn't good with that. You know, I had to have somebody tell me, um, you know, at one point I had to have a counselor tell me, listen, you look like your your skin doesn't fit um, because I could not sit still. Something was bothering me. So I had to, they said the only way that you're going to, you know, fix this is by talking to people and getting honest. And they made me sit down with, you know, three other guys from, um, you know, my my floor and just tell them, you know, this awful thing that was bothering me, which now I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, it was, actually, it was absolutely nothing. Um, but, you know, that, that, that whole idea was so important. And, you know, and for me, a lot of what I've had to – to do in, in my sprite is having people tell me stuff like that. You know, you have to do this. And, um, mm. you know, going against every single thing that's inside me where, you know, my ego wants to be like, no, I got this. I know how to do this. And, you know, and, and so that's that's also been a, you know, it's all this, like, slow, painful, amazing process. Right. I mean, it's that evolution from, okay, this is my relationship with alcohol. I know that I can't manage it. And then it gets into my behaviors and, you know, my willingness to kind of open up and be more honest about other things. Um, Jenna, what, what about you kind of in terms of the honesty? I always thought I was honest, but I was really very dishonest um, when I was drinking. Um, I was always, it was really, I married a, uh, obviously a drinker and I would always point the finger at him um, and I would always think oh I'm not that bad my husband's a you know a daily heavy drinker I would go to therapy and complain and tell my husband um, he should stop drinking and um, I just remember thinking oh god you know I don't drink every day and in reality I didn't drink every day but my drinking um, when I would black out was much crazier um, than his, yeah. my personality um, would change. Um, so I, um, I really wasn't honest. And once I yeah. got in the twelve-step program, that really allowed me to, um, you know, really get honest with myself and see my part in things. I was thinking to myself that we really, we we used to have a great willingness to go to any lengths in order to drink. I did anyway. Right. But I hear that in your story. Like, I'm so hungover, I'm going to die. Like, what's my next best choice? Obviously, drink. You know, like, Here are the yep. dogs. We're very. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but so I, I'm, I love this sort of building the perfect brick, and that leads to a wall because I'm thinking, you know, what if I'm not sure I'm willing? There there could be somebody listening who's thinking, well, I'm scared and I'm unhappy, but, oh, my gosh, you know, Chris is here talking about going to rehab, and, you know, Amanda has told her stories about, you know, going to court following DUIs, and, you know, here's Jenna talking about, well, 30 days, but that's it, you know, 
what if the you know do we have to be a hundred percent willing to stop drinking to take the first step into sobriety? So does it have to be perfect? No. Um, yeah. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. So no, not at all. Um, you know, and I this is something I talk about all the time. Is I I wanted to stop. I wanted to stop drinking so bad. You know, I wanted to get clean, and you know that. And I had that. I had that burning desire, but I still had so much doubt. Um, you know, I would hear they would bring people in. People would come into, like, say the when I, especially at first when, when I was in that rehab, and they would bring people in, and you know, people would talk about how great their lives were now, and how much fun they had, and you know, how they have a relationship with God now and all this stuff, and I would be like, oh, my God, I hate you so much. Um, you know, I cannot believe what I'm listening to. And, I, I'm, and I, you know, and I was the person doing all these things and doing, you know, but I had also lived for 34 years in my head. You know, and my head was a really, really bad place to be. So, um, you know, and I, I would hear people talk about how they had so much fun in sobriety, and, um, you know, I'd be like, F you, you know, I cannot even stand you. And, you know, the only difference, though, is, you know, those people got to leave. I had slippers on, you know, I'm in the rehab. So I had to think to myself, all right, something is not right, you know, with what you've <laughs> right. been doing. Something got you here. And, um, you know, I always talk about this, you know, 51% of me, you know, wanted to be sober and wanted to actually trust people and listen. You know, for, for and this is for a long time, you know, but 49% was like, no, this is not right for us. You know, we got to do something else and, you know, that side. But I, all you need is that 51%. That's it. You know, you don't not, you, you, there's not many times when you're going to be 100% about anything, you know, and that's an amazing thing, you know, because they, you can just, everything else comes to you just by having that, you know, and that's really what willingness is, you know, it's 51%. Um, you know, because if you're just a little bit more willing than you're not, you're going to be okay, you know, and every single day I have that willingness. I've never been below 51%, you know, a lot of days I'm at 100%, you know, most of the time, um, you know, it's not even an issue, I, you know, I don't think about alcohol, which is amazing, because all I want to do is get sober, but most days until I I'm at a uh, 12-step meeting or talking to somebody or doing something like this. It's not even a thought, you know. It's all the thinking. But you know, it's uh, so. And to anyone listening, you know, that 51%. That's all you need. You know, that is really it. And um, you know, so 51% and a little bit of patience, or a lot of bit of patience. Yeah, I heard one guy yeah. just the other day say that when when he started out, somebody said, "Do you have a desire to stop drinking?" And he said. Hell no. Yeah, no. There's no way I have a desire to stop drinking. And then the person said, well, are you an alcoholic? And he said, definitely. So the, I yeah. thought that was an interesting sort of spin wow. because, some, you know, like yeah. sometimes you think that maybe it's the big bad yeah. A word that people mm -hmm. get uh, maybe nervous about. But in this guy's case, and I, you know, when he said that, something resonated with me. I was like, yeah, I I wanted to, but I kind of didn't. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, scary. Dean, what? Or, yeah. Well, go ahead, Amanda. What do you What do you think? I mean, that do you have to be perfectly willing, or what's your view? No, I mean, I'm. I went into detox, and um, similar to Chris, it was you know I 
I the I had been arrested, you know, had an intervention, and the next day I went in, and I just went there, and I was like, I I didn't I didn't necessarily want to be sober, but I didn't know what else to do. And so I just went there and I just surrendered. I'm like, oh my God, just make me better, whatever that is. And and I and now you know, thinking about it, getting honest with myself, I I don't I don't know that I I was I couldn't imagine not drinking for the rest of my life. And you know, and I still I don't think about it that way. I just think about it day to day. But I went in there and I'm like, you know what? It's got to be better. So I had you know that 51 percent of willingness. And that's really what, you know, that's the key word there. It was willingness. It wasn't that um, I believed and trusted everything that people were saying, but I believed it more than I didn't believe it. And I believed that what I knew was wrong. I I I knew that my best attempts didn't get me sober ever, ever, ever. Well, I didn't really try because my best attempts didn't include getting sober. Um, and so it was really just the willingness to do what people told me to do. And sometimes they would tell me to do, you know, like Chris said, like that when they told me to pray, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I am not doing that. I am not religious. And, um, well, I didn't say that. I said, okay, you tell me to pray, I'll do it. But I was like, I'm not religious. And I felt like an idiot. I mean, I would sit there and I would, um, you know, I've always felt. I've, I used to go to church when I was a kid, and I always felt, you know, when you know, you have to, you have to kneel, you sit, you do this and that, and I never understood yeah. why. Um, and so I just, you know, to me, it was really just going through the motions, and you know, so. But I was willing to do what they told me to do. So, um, you know, for example, with prayer, I did pray. I would read the prayer cards that they gave me with some, you know, they have different suggested prayers that you read. And um, and I just kept doing what they told me to do until it made sense. Um, so and it, it was just that fifty-one percent willingness to just do something to change where I was at. Yeah, I mean, I feel it's just so important that the action we don't we don't get a hundred percent willing and then take the action. We take the action, like the making the bed. The, the saying the prayer, um, even just there's something that, that Chris said in his story that struck me where you said, Chris, well, I had to go to Vegas. And then you said, no, I didn't have to go. I was going on business <laughs> for me. But for me, like even just the willingness to change my thinking, to align it just a little bit more with the truth, mm-hmm. that's an action mm-hmm. as well, you know, and like, Every action leads, it's like step, 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 you know. Um, so, so Gina, I'll, I'll throw you this one. Is it important to be willing to call ourselves alcoholics? Like going back to that question that that guy said, um, what do you think about that? Oh, that's a hard one. It took me a long time to get to that, and I think a lot of people stumble on that. Um, I think it's important to accept that you are forever, you know, that you you need to make a forever change. Um, I think that's an acceptance. The use of the word, hmm, you know, it's easy to say, yes, you have to be willing to say that. Um, But I think it's, you asked me a hard question, Catherine, darn you. (laughs) Oh, Gina, sorry. I'll bail bail you out. Okay, well, I'll stammer for one more second and see if I can make sense of what I'm trying to say. Because I do think that there, there, we have to be willing to get well and to accept what's wrong with us. 
and we have to get real about what's why that alcohol isn't working, right? And mm-hmm. for me, I I look at it as my I damaged my brain with how I with how I used alcohol for many years between my genetics and my um, conditioning and what I did to my brain by by drinking every day. I forever rewired the pleasure reward system. It will never work the same again. That's why I can't have alcohol. That's that's how I look at it. Now, the the another word for that is I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I think that it's more the for me it was the big picture of accepting like I can I, I really can't fix this with a 30-day cleanse or stopping for 2 years. Like this is a permanent change that that I that I will never be able to go back to drinking again. The day, like the the moment that that really sunk in for me, then I felt a shift too in my willingness in that okay, this this is this is the new me. This is my reality now and I'm willing to live with this because I want to live. So, yeah. Did I answer I mean, I think did I dance around it. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, listen, it's I I think this is Catherine. I you know, for me I was not comfortable with saying that I was an alcoholic at first, but here's what occurred to me. I don't know if I want to call it that, but let me think through what the outcomes of my drinking were. And that when I got willing to be honest about, you know, when I have a drink, I can't predict the outcome. But, you know, at the end I was blacking out almost every single time I drank. Um, I had late-stage symptoms of alcoholism, which I didn't know that's what they were at the time, but, you know, I would have one drink today and be hammered and just, over the edge immediately and unexpectedly and then maybe tomorrow I have 10 drinks and don't feel any effect at all it was just really unpredictable I was much sloppier Mm -hmm. Um, I had progressed so what do I call it and my in my mind I remember saying well who cares it's not it's not working (laughs) and then it was after a while I thought oh well who cares if I call it alcoholism that's what it is but I just offer that Sort of thought because sometimes when people are thinking about whether to get sober, and I know a lot of our listeners are kind of you know wondering about their own relationship with alcohol, that I wouldn't want fear of saying the word alcoholic to keep somebody from doing the bed making, <laughs> the, the metaphorical hmm. bed making. That's Chris. Yeah. From now on, that's going to be my metaphor for for action is making the bed. Um, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Jenna, what, you know, you you mentioned the this idea of shame and stigma. So, what's your thought on this idea of the willingness to call ourselves alcoholic? I don't have the shame and stigma anymore. Now I'm perfectly um comfortable calling myself an alcoholic. Um I don't go and announce it, you know, at work or anything like that. Um but I'm fine, you know, announcing it at like a 12-step program or, um, you know, on the show. For me, I I think it's a personal choice if you want to say it or not. I agree with you. I'm If the alcohol isn't working, you don't need to even be an alcoholic to um, quit drinking. Um, for me, um, I like, I prefer to call myself an alcoholic so I don't... Um, go into denial and so that um, I don't I love 
I love being uh, without alcohol, and I, you know, I just love um, being sober. Um, for so for me, it's important to remember what my life used to be like, and yeah, um, it's definitely. given me it's empowering. It's really empowering for me to be an alcoholic because I have a whole new um, spiritual life that I didn't have before, and my life is a lot richer. And I don't want to go back and think I wasn't that bad because when I do that, um, you know, it just takes me, it just, I go back into denial and I don't want to go back to um, drinking. Yeah, good point. So now that we're we're sober, we're actually experiencing our lives, all the good stuff and, you know, maybe all the, the hard stuff. So let's talk about the willingness to be present instead of escaping into addiction. There's kind of Can a Buddhist concept. Can I just add concept. something, Kathy? Of course. Kevin, can yeah, I add something about that? Please. The alcoholic part? Please, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just um, I think one of the most important things with – this whole, uh, why, I, and I, I do believe that it's important, but, you know, I also believe that, you know, everyone has their own path and, you know, there's not one right fit. You know, I've found something that's worked for really well for me and, um, you know, lots and lots of other people that I've met. But, you know, I think one of the important things is that, um, you know, that what just by identifying yourself as an alcoholic is, it's all about being able to identify with somebody else and, you know, being able to feel, you know, some type of connection. And I think, you know, and I've heard it mentioned, you know, a bunch of times on, you know, just on this call alone, but, you know, one of the biggest things is with this disease is that it isolates you. It makes you think that you're different from everybody else and it Mm -hmm. makes you think that there's something wrong and, you know, um, that you do have that shame and, you know, you have, you think it's so much worse. And then you talk to somebody and, you know, who thinks the same way or has that same disease, has that same common problem. And you start to be like, oh my God, I'm not, there's not really anything wrong with me. And this person also identifies themselves as an alcoholic and they seem like they're so normal. They seem like they have it all together. They seem so happy now. And it starts to shift, you know, what you think about that. You know, and I look at, you know, alcoholism and, you know, I am so grateful that I have, and I can't believe that I say that. And I would be that person, you know, I'm that person now that I would have been like, oh, my God, I hate you so much. Um, You know, but it's an important thing, um, you know, because I was the most jaded, you know, broken, morally, spiritually, emotionally bankrupt person ever. And, um, you know, and and I was illustrating it. And so one of the things that I was told is identify yourself as an alcoholic. That's fine, you know. I'm going to make the bet. I'm going to identify myself as an alcoholic. I'm going to learn all these little things. And, um, you know, those little things just keep adding up. So, sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I just think it's important. No, it is important. I think you just described the mission statement of the bubble hour, you know, is to to just (laughs) connect. connect with people and and make sure that people know they're not alone but we're all you know in this trying to to figure it out um and you know i for one i'm a big isolator yeah please oh i was just gonna say too um chris has made me think of this i mean one thing for me that's changed and um just in being in recovery is um and not that i was ever ashamed because alcoholism is so um you know, so 
prevalent in my family that you know and that they're they're good people and I know plenty of good people you know alcoholics that are good people before I got sober but um I'm not and I've it's changed for me just from being in recovery and getting to know other people identifying with other people I'm not ashamed at all of being an alcoholic I will tell anyone um and that's just me mm-hmm. I you know I know not everyone feels that way I am completely comfortable but it's it's just like to me it's just like I, you know I wouldn't be ashamed to say I have diabetes I have a disease right. and it's it's just that simple to me and if people say yeah. why well, I don't drink you know why don't you drink I'll just say I'm an alcoholic I I, I mean I I tend not to say that I say I'm you know I'm in recovery or I'm yeah. sober um just because people don't know how to handle that but that's yeah. also kind of part of our mission statement is to change you know change how people look at that like I'm just not ashamed I'm an alcoholic, yeah. and that's all. <laughs> yeah. This is Dean. I want to chime in, too, because there's, there was two things that I had to be willing to do. I, I had this image of myself before I quit drinking as, like, this this nice, classy, middle-aged, middle-class woman with a glass of wine in one hand and, you know, setting down my briefcase with my other hand and conquering the world and making dinner for my family. But the wine glass in my hand was an important part of the image that I had of myself as this sort of... Yeah nice lady like this this mm-hmm. stereotype i had of myself and i had to be willing to reimagine a version of myself that didn't include that and oh i love that i mm. i was just saying to someone yesterday who was sort of coming to terms with recovery and and saying you know she was having a hard time connecting identifying herself as an alcoholic or even needing recovery and I said, well, yeah, I I thought every all the other women my age in in recovery would be like Marge Simpson's sisters, you know, yeah, <laughs> kind of wispy voice, like yeah. sagging tattoos, maybe missing a tooth, you know. Yeah. And then when I realized that everyone in recovery that I and not everyone I've met all kinds of fantastic people in recovery, but I, I, there's a lot of women just like me, those nice. You know, SUV driving middle class women that are setting down the briefcase and maybe making a mug of tea with the other hand. And so I had to not only be willing to give up my stereotype of myself, but I had to be willing to accept a new vision of of other people too. And then when those two things met, it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think there's there's so many changing definitions, and we get willing to. You know, then the next thing is, am I going to be able to do my work and, you know, entertain clients and and not drink? Am I going to Mm -hmm. still be fun? You know, am Mm -hmm. I still a fun person? Um, Will I still be able to socialize? Um, You know, all these things that we've talked about on the show before, it's just you get willing to start asking yourself the question of like, well, there's no way I can travel without drinking. (laughs) Is that true? No, I'm, I'm willing to accept that that's not true, you know. Um, am I willing to cook dinner for my family without alcohol? Yes, I am. And it, we kind of move through all of that. And Catherine, um, this is Jean, yeah. but also now I'm I'm sort of starting to get to the point where I'm willing to not put myself into such high-pressure, high-stress um, demanding situations at work or in other places that I so need that comfort when I get home of a glass of wine or of you know, numbing out for the evening, I had to be willing to, I have to be willing for the rest of my life to not push myself so far to the brink that I have to pull back so hard into 
isolation and and um, doing hurtful mm-hmm. things to myself at the end of the day to make up for how I treated my life all day long. So that's the willingness to participate in active self care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and boundaries. Um, well, I do say you have to be so willing to change everything. <laughs> so it's and it's, yeah. it it really is yeah. true. Um, so, so let's it, but talk it's a not bit all about at once. that. Yeah. So how does the willingness, Amanda, to rearrange our lives and our relationships play into our recovery? Oh, it's huge. It's so huge. Um, I mean, I really, I really did have to change everything about, you know, what I did, who I hung out with. And, you know, and some of that was, you know, a temporary thing. Some of it was at first. You know, there were certain people that um, were triggers to me um, that or situations that I knew weren't healthy for me to be at. Like, you know, you hear someone two weeks sober saying they're going to an, a wedding with an open bar, and I just cringe and go, oh, my God, how are you going to survive that? Kind of what Jean was just saying, you know, putting yourself in situations that you may survive. Um, but, you know, you leave there and you're you're feeling awful for weeks on end because you've put yourself in a really, um, you know, difficult situation. And um, so I, I personally, part of it was because I didn't have a license. Um, I was very extremely protective hmm. of my sobriety, and I was very careful about where I went, who I was with, because I didn't have an escape route. Um, and I even I put up boundaries at work. Um, with different events that we had that involved alcohol that I just didn't go to, but um, so I was very, um, I was very, I guess, ag- almost aggressive in protecting my sobriety. And I know that that um, that's me. That, and I know for a lot of people, it's I'm pretty brazen. I guess I was pretty brazen about it. Um, and a lot of people need, you know, feel need to be more subtle or, you know for whatever reason, and that's totally fine. But I think, you know, taking steps along the way, you know, sometimes I think it's okay to test out certain things. You know, oh, can I do a wedding? And then, you know, you go to it and say, oh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe I shouldn't be going to huge, you know, going to Napa Valley on vacation, you know, when I'm three months <laughs> over. <laughs> you know, you, you sometimes we have to try those things to to figure out that they might not be the healthiest thing for us. And I've I've certainly had situations like that, but um yeah, I've 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 changed a lot and I've I've changed just um my whole I I tend to live a very honest life just about everything and I never thought I was a dishonest person, but I really try to not I don't I try to even not tell little white lies. You know, if it's I'm, I, I, it, because I just you know it's kind of what you talk about all the time, um, Catherine, with the you know is that true? You know, mm-hmm. I love when you say that, and you know I want to be able to answer yes <laughs> when it's when it comes to the actions that I'm doing in my day to day life. Um, right. So it's something that's occurring to me, kind of in this whole topic of rearranging our lives and relationships, is what we hear many times from people who are either thinking about getting sober or newly sober is what if that honesty runs counter to what other people are telling us so you know sometimes we hear well-meaning friends or family saying well you're not an alcoholic you're not that bad you know Mm. how does how does that willingness to face that in our own core truth and to follow those truths um, even amongst outside resistance you know how does that willingness that's part of that rearranging too. Um, 
How does that fit in? Does anybody have any experience with that? Yes, I had that um, happen um, quite a bit with my um, family. My sisters um, all drank like I did, probably like more so. So they were telling me, oh, you're not a real alcoholic, and a real alcoholic um, will drink mouthwash in the morning, for instance. You know, you don't drink in the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't drink in the morning, and um, and they're all very well educated, too. And my husband was trying to, um, you know, talk. He still drinks. Um, he still drinks every day, but he tried to talk me out of going to um, 12-step programs. My family tried um, talking me out of it. Um, so I had zero um, support in real life. Um, so my willingness had to come... Um, from within for me and the longer I stayed Hmm. sober um, I got more and more willingness like it really deepened and I did have to go to any lengths and luckily I got a lot of support um, from people in 12-step programs and developed some really strong friendships um, there and that was really helpful it's almost like a like an exercise program, isn't it? Like, okay, you start out jogging and, it's, and your your legs hurt, you know, and you say, and your lungs hurt, and then you say, okay, but then the next next week, well, I feel a little better, and then the next week, you, you just kind of keep stretching a little at a time, and and getting mm-hmm. that support. Yeah, um, that's how about, true. How about you, Chris? I mean, what experiences do you have in terms of rearranging? Um, you know, your life, your life and your relationships? Yeah, so I pretty much wound up changing my entire life. Um, I was just talking about this the other day. This uh, I was at a 12-step meeting yesterday, and this guy was talking, the guy who was qualifying was talking about how he was up here because, he, and he's been sober for about 18 months, and he was up in New York visiting because he had his bachelor party that night. And he had been sober, and all his friends know he's sober, but they were going to go out to dinner. And then he said, we're going to, you know, they're going to want to take me to an exotic entertainment, you know, place or something like that. And, you know, and, uh, he was, you know, he sounded nervous because he said, you know, I don't want to drink, but, you know, I also don't want to disappoint people or anything like that and disappoint my friends and all this. And even though it's his, you know, it should really be all about him. And, you know, and I, when I shared, I had to say, like, you know, it doesn't matter about those people. It's about you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there had to be a lot of stuff like that. And I, you know, I I was lucky. I had a lot of support. You know, my wife supported me a lot. You know, all of my family supported me. Um, you know, but then I was in a job where I, you know, my company, I felt like I, I, it was something that was all based around, you know, that I had to be either, you know, shady or I had to be out entertaining people and all these things. And, um, you know, so I had to start changing every single part of how I did everything. You know, traveling was a big, you know, was a big trigger for me. You know, I had to stop traveling so much. You know, we wound up moving. Um, We had to move away for a couple of years to get some space. I remember I had to go and get my, um, I didn't have to. I didn't have to do any of this stuff. I wanted to um, you know, my phone, I had a phone number that I'd probably had for 10 or 13 years. And I went to the store and I said, I have to change this number. And they're like, okay. And then the guy comes back. He's, 
you know, after asking me five times, you sure you want to change your number? You sure you want to? It's pain, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he comes over and he says, do you want to transfer all your contacts? And I was like, no, I don't want anything. I have to start <laughs> over. And, um, you know, the the thing that I that I like to think about is when I was down in Florida, there was this clubhouse, uh, 12-step clubhouse, and there was this little tiny, not tiny, but there was a little whiteboard, this dirty whiteboard, and, you know, it would always have this one thing on it. And it would say, if I don't change my sobriety date well, and I had to keep thinking about that, you know, and I mm-hmm. had to be willing because it's not so much, you know, it's not just about like, oh, well, you know, I want to stop drinking or anything, but I had, you know, it became really clear, you know, that it's also, you know, this is a matter of life and death when it really comes down to it. You know, it's not something now, it's just a matter of how do I get more out of life? How do I get more? But, you know, at the beginning, you know, at three weeks out of um, rehab, you know, the first guy that I was in there died, you know, a 25-year-old kid, um, you know, and then another person, another person. And, you know, so it goes so much more than just being like, oh, well, you know, I want to change and, you know, I have to want this, you know, I have to want it and be willing to, you know, to, to do those things. So um, I don't know if that answered the question, but it's, um, you know, just something I'm passionate about. Yeah, it does. And I, this is Catherine. I feel like for me that when I stop fighting, what the change has to be when when I can feel resistance when you were telling that story about the phone number and I've had my phone number for my cell phone number probably 15 years it's not even the same mm-hmm. area code where I live anymore um I felt a little clenching resistance to that and so that wasn't part of my story where I had to to give up my number but I think it's a great example of something where if you feel resistance but you know that it's true it's yeah. true that I have to give up this number and I'm feeling fear and I'm feeling resistance. Once I stop fighting, it feels like a letting go, like an opening of the hands, yeah. like unclenching of the hands. And that willingness is just in the willingness to stop fighting. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's what changes your life. And, you know, and I, Catherine, we've talked about this, but, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, all these lessons, everything that I've had to learn, I've had to learn through lots and lots and lots of pain. And I've had to get mm. through that pain. And, you know, as much as I'll hate that pain and, you know, wish that there was an easier way and, you know, all this, I have to go through that pain, you know. And the more that I fight that pain, the more that I try to go against that pain or go against what, you know, I'm being told, you know, whether it's by um you know by somebody directly or you know uh, something much much bigger than all of us um you know the harder it is you know when i go along with that and i when i let things you know go the way that they're supposed to go i wind up with you know everything being exactly the way it is and you know i wind up with that life beyond my wildest dreams you know which i have and which is crazy because i didn't understand that either you know i thought that when i would hear people say that i thought they were just talking about you know that they got so rich or something like that and i remember i heard that at this meeting a 12-step meeting, and this old guy was saying how he lived his life beyond his wildest dreams. And I was like, wow, this guy must be loaded because he was so um, he was so into <laughs> it, so passionate. And, you know, we left, 
and I saw this guy drive away in this beat-up old car, and I was like, what was his dream, you know? And then I finally understood that months and months later, you know, when I started getting some serenity and when I started, you know, not having to fight against every single thing. But that's all a process, and it takes time, you know, and they say time takes time, and, um, you know, and that's just how it is. Yeah, and I I love that, and I feel like both you and Jenna have talked about letting other people carry us along and that's mm-hmm. that's something Chris can I share the the laptop bag story of when you helped yeah, of me um sure. so so Chris is actually my friend and neighbor in real life and uh we were walking along the other day and I had a bunch of bags and Chris said can I help you and I said no no that's okay and he said no really can I help you carry those and I said no that's okay and then I realized that something that's happening <laughs> something that's happening for me right now is that I'm really struggling with being vulnerable and I've said this the last couple of shows I think and you know I'm 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 trying to you know say how I feel, say what I need, trusting that people and in my case since I'm a spiritual seeker, my higher power will take care mm-hmm. of me and that vulnerability has felt really dangerous for me and really dangerous for my sobriety. I'm feeling really exposed and afraid. So I stopped and I sort of said, no, you know what, Chris? Yes, you can help me with this bag. Like, <laughs> I am going to take the step of saying yes to help because my where I am right now is, you know, I I don't, I feel more happy, joyous, and free than I did, you know, two years ago when I was still active, but I'm feeling very exposed. So having somebody in this case literally do some carrying um my willingness right now is to believe that i can have what you guys have i I don't know what's happening next i don't know what i'm doing but i'm willing to do what you Mm. suggest i do and i'm willing to believe that you're telling me the truth about what things are going to be like and I, i hope listeners are sort of some of this might be resonating with people to say okay well if chris says it if jenna and Amanda and Jean say it, and Catherine says it. Maybe that's maybe I can get there too. Um, just a little bit of willingness there. So we're kind of coming to the to the end of the show, and I just like I feel with every show, I could just talk for hours with mm-hmm. people in recovery. I, I learned so much from all of you guys, and but so it just I think we all can agree that willingness is one of the keys to getting and staying sober. And it sounds like a little goes a long way so if we could just kind of go around the group um before we close with any final thoughts on the topic so jenna i'll start with you um yes i just wanted to say for what you um just to um give a comment on what you said um for willingness um and just reaching out for help is um a key to getting sober. I personally wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. And when you reach out um, for help, you're helping other people too. So if you're not sure if you want to get sober, if you're not sure if you're willing yet, willing yet, <laughs> you beca- you can become willing gradually. Yeah, I love that. Um, Chris, mm-hmm. how about you? Yeah. Um, you know what I was thinking, something that we didn't even bring up, but such a big part of this and such a big part of recovery and then uh, of just personal growth 
has is the whole idea that I have to be willing to put my ego aside. And, you know, I didn't realize that how dangerous my ego is and how dangerous it continues to be for me. Um, you know, and a big part of willingness for me has to be that I don't have the answers. You know, most of the time, and especially towards the beginning, you know, and actually not even just to the beginning, you know, a lot of times my first thought is going to be wrong. And, you know, I'm going to think things that aren't, you know, that are happening or what people think that they don't actually think and that aren't happening. So I have to be really, really willing to listen to somebody else. And, you know, really what it comes down to is listening to my intuition that, you know, I have to be able to trust and, you know, that I have to be able to, um, you know, be willing to be actually just willing to do something and have that faith that things are mm-hmm. going to get better. And, you know, for me, it's had to be because I can see from other people, other people that I respect, other people that I want to be like, um, you know, that I want to emulate, that have, you know, that thing that I want. Um, you know, I have to use them as models. And I have to, if I'm doing that, I have to believe what they're telling me is the right thing. And, um, you know, and, and that's just been such an important part of everything for me. Maybe we need to do a show on the topic of ego. What do you think, Amanda? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, Chris, Chris, come back on and, and join us. No for that problem. Show. I could talk about that in, in a non-ego, uh, <laughs> yeah. egocentric way. <laughs> me too. Listen to me talk about ego. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Very meta. <laughs> um, Jean, how about you? Any final thoughts on willingness? Um, well. I think what I want to encourage listeners to know is that for me, willingness has shifted over time. So I'm just a few days away from my three-year sober birthday. And, oh, my um, gosh, really? Yes. Uh, I'm going to have fireworks, I think, that night. And yes. so at first it was like my willingness was really in early recovery, just the willingness to get through a day without alcohol. And then as I kind of got that under my belt, I got to that stage of being willing to really look inside myself and do some really hard, some hard work and on undoing the thinking and the the stuff in my head that got me to that point of of being addicted. And, and now, I mean, that's something I'll always continue to do. So I take those early things with me. I still don't drink every day. I still do that work continually. But now... I also have to be willing to stay motivated and, and stay focused on this vision of, as Jenna said, my greater self or my best self. For me, it's kind of being the family matriarch in my golden years as a, as a, you know, maybe a grandma here this summer. I'm going to be so. As I look towards that, I stay motivated, and I have to be willing to to honor all those stages. So, I don't know what comes after this, but the, the willingness evolves as you go and. In the beginning, you think it couldn't possibly be harder than getting through a night without a drink. And and now, you know, I'm willing to do more and more. So it grows and it, it takes on um, strength over time. No, and that's that's so beautiful. It's It's absolutely true. And Amanda, how about you? Oh, well, God, I had a million thoughts here. Um, one is um, just, I guess, to reiterate, you know, with willingness to me in the beginning was just willing to, you know, like we just said, check my ego at the door and just um, do what people suggested that I do, even if it didn't make sense to me. 
um, and I stuck with that. And then, I, you know, as my as I cleared up and things started to make more sense, I had to continue to stay willing to do what people suggested because, just like Chris said, my first thought isn't necessarily the right one. Um, and so I do that, you know, more so now just, you know, to live a better life. It isn't, I mean, certainly, you know, first and foremost, it's so I don't drink, but, you know, it's also so I can live a, um, a happier life and have those rewards that, you know, aren't a, you know, a fancy car. It's, it's the re- rewards in my heart and, um, you know, in my soul and my spirituality and, um one thing I've done recently, so this is um, bringing me really back home, is last Tuesday I quit smoking after about 30 years of smoking. Um, and and I just did it cold turkey. I was like, yep, wow. I had like all the reasons wow. to um, put it off. And, um, you know, I had all kinds of stuff go on and, you know, and I – it was something like it came up on Saturday, and I said, well, I'm not doing it tomorrow, meaning Sunday, because, you know, I had some stuff going on, or Monday. I said, but I'm going to do it Tuesday, and I just did it um, because I figured, same thing with drinking, I would always have an excuse of why I wasn't going to do it the next day. So I just did it in the middle of kind of a, um, uh, I was about to swear, um, a something storm in my life. <laughs> I already did. I already did. <laughs> And um, and I and and I and I made my, and I was willing to be accountable. I posted it on Facebook, which I know my father's watching. He's been begging me for you know since I started smoking, and he was grounding me and kicking my butt for smoking. He's been begging me to quit, um, but I made myself accountable to everyone and just stuck with it. So that was stepping way out of my and and all my friends who know me well were like I can't believe you posted that like you're really doing this because they've heard me say it before a million times and they're like you're full of it you're not doing it and I'm like I'm no I'm doing it and you know just by the actions that I took they're like you're really doing this and it's been I I'll admit it it's been hell it's been really really hard I I um and so it bring and it does bring me right back to what it was like stopping drinking Except I'm not in a nice little detox with meds to help me along the way. <laughs> like, yeah, this is just cold turkey, and um, but you know I'm just doing what I need to do. And I have to tell you, on so I quit on Tuesday, Thursday night that accountability thing. Thursday night I still had the pack of cigarettes at the bottom of my of my trash, and I knew they were there, and they weren't crushed, even though I should have crushed them. And I just like I had a moment. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna have one. And I was like, and you know, then people were commenting on my post, and I'm like, no, I, I can't. I'm I'm sticking to this. So I guess it's um, willingness to put yourself in a in a position for success. You know, um, just whatever yeah. it takes. And this, you know, it's a little bit different with um, you know with smoking. But you know, I, I I did what I needed to do to protect myself from just going and having a cigarette. Um, yeah, I mean, all so. The, so, so many of the principles are all the same, right? And yeah, and I also yeah. heard something in in what you said, Amanda, which was there was just sort of this flash flash of willingness on the smoking, mm-hmm. like there's never going to be a right time. And I think for anybody listening, that flash of willingness, grab onto that. And if you're mm-hmm. if you're listening because you have a family member or a friend who's struggling with drinking or addiction, and you're saying, I don't know how to help them, it's like watch for that flash because that's when you can kind of 
say something that might be helpful, um, but you don't have to be willing this the whole day long. With as every every flash, you know, of light gets us there. Um, so I so I really true. like to thank <laughs> Jenna and Chris for their willingness to be here and to share their recovery <laughs> with us. Um, you you both have really really helped me tonight, and I've I've just learned so much. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for and having me. Yeah, thank you. you yeah, thank great. you both. And thank you, Jean and Amanda, as always, um, for for being so great here as well. You you help me every week, so thank you. Oh, it helps me too, and I look forward to it all week long. So thank yeah, you. I look as always. forward to the fireworks. The big pony parade is coming <laughs> to Jean's house right. on, in a couple of days. But as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. And there you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and links to some other initiatives around recovery advocacy. And if you'd like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that is TheBubbleHour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly from the website, or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. We thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you all have a great evening. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you.